really don't know why I'm so ADD about that thing being right in the middle. <laughs> Helping out the rest of you, you OCC, OCD people. This is the line. We stand on the line. Good morning, church. Um, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're going to be today. We've been there for a while. We've been kind of walking through the Sermon on the Mount. Pastor Tim and I talked about um, not trying to preach through it and and talk about it, just reading it to you one Sabbath. We haven't gotten up the courage. We think you might be disappointed, but I don't know why you'd be disappointed because this is the Sermon of Jesus, but we don't know. We'll figure it out, though. Pray that the Lord leads and we don't just go wandering off on our own, because it could be messy if that happens. We are at a, pl- at a place in the, uh, in the sermon that's familiar, and one of the problems with the familiar is that we become familiar with it, right? One of the problems with the familiar is that we lose the sense of it because of its familiarity, One preacher put it this way. He said, uh, you know the people who really, really, really respect and think highly of marriage? The people who are not married. He said, you know the folks who really uh, kind of don't appreciate the, the, the wife or the husband? The people who are married to them. And then when they go on a long vacation or they're gone for some reason or another... Then finally they say, oh man, I really miss X, Y, and Z about my spouse. It is very often our very familiarity with things that causes us to lose the significance of them. The one we're going to talk about today has been in children's songs. You've probably been singing about this phrase in the text in Jesus' sermon since you were a little kid if you were were raised in the church. It's such a common thing and such a common phrase that it, it, it actually creeps into uh, to non-Christian verbiage about Christianity. It, it creeps into all sorts of different places. It's the section in Matthew 5 where Jesus says, You are, in fact, the light of the world. We sang the children's song this morning. What was the children's song that goes along with that? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? It's, it's right out of the text. But in, in thinking about it, we, we don't often go beyond the very surface nature of it. We don't go into any kind of depth of experience or understanding or even, even just stop and think through it. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead. So today, um, we're going to take a little bit of time with it. We're going to take a little bit of time with the, the phrase, and we're going to walk through it a little bit. Um, and I brought my light. I got one. I got one during children's story, which is awesome. So glad. So glad. Thank you very much for providing that for me. But I also brought this one. This one's got a little more intensity to it. I don't know if you can see it in the light that's here. Oh, there it is. Yeah, hopefully we can see it later as we go through. See the little green dot? I know you're not cats. <laughs> a laser is just a very intensely focused light. That's all it is. Just a very intensely focused light. And thank you whoever is holding up their light out there. Awesome. He's not hiding it. He's holding it. But as we walk through the text a little bit this morning, I want to invite you to remember the context. Who is Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to a Jewish crowd from Nazareth. 
There are probably some Pharisees and Sadducees because they're always hanging around. But remember, he's not speaking to a Christian organization. You look at this text and you say, oh, yeah, this, is, this automatically applies to me. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Oh, this is about Christianity. Well, it is. But it was spoken first to a Jewish audience. Jesus said to the Jewish people living in Nazareth around the lake in that secularized part of Israel, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. The very first audience for this didn't know who Jesus really was. Some of them had hopes. Some of them had guesses. Some of them were hoping he wasn't. Some of them were sure he wasn't. But the very first audience to hear this passage, to hear Jesus say, you are the light of the world, were just beginning to catch the dawning of Jesus' arrival. Their light, at best, was a dim reflection of what would be. Post-crucifixion, post-resurrection, this light becomes a beacon. This light becomes a spotlight. It takes on such, a, such intensity. But recognize, recognize that any light, the light of a birthday candle, in the midst of darkness, shines so that it cannot be ignored. I shared a story with you um, uh, on the blog this week that, it, that just so impressed me. I read it. It was in the, in the hurricane discussions. <clears throat> We've had a couple of hurricanes recently. Did you miss that in the news? <clears throat> and um, and in, in, in talking about it, this story came up. It's the story of a group of women, nine of them, from Kampala, Uganda. Now, I don't know if you know about this place, but it's one of the worst, most poverty-ridden ghettos in the world. These women work in a, a gravel pit. But the gravel pit that they work in isn't mechanized like the ones you see around here. In Africa, there are folks whose job it is to take a stone pound on it with a hammer to make gravel. Um, we actually saw this when we were in Ghana, folks just sitting literally along the side of the road, taking a rock, rolling it into a, in front of them, pounding on it with a hammer until they made gravel and they could sell the gravel for a little bit of money each day. And so the, the goal was to, to fill up a bag or two of gravel so that it could be sold that day. These ladies worked in one of those gravel pits in, in Uganda, in, in, in and near that very desperate ghetto that they live in, they heard about Hurricane Katrina in America. They took up an offering they made a dollar twenty a day in 2005. Doubt it's much different. You don't get a lot of cola in that profession. And the ladies sent $900 to a relief organization in, in America because people were hurting. This is not a story picked up by the Christian press. 
This is a story picked up by United Press International. This is a story told and retold around the world. A dollar twenty light is a pretty dim light. But these ladies have made an impact about their faith that is now 12 years running. And the, the little lump in your throat speaks to the power of the testimony of the believer who sets forth not for any glory to themselves to be the kind of person Jesus is. Let your light shine. You are the light of the world. Did you notice that it's just a straight up biblical declaration? Jesus doesn't say, if you do this, if you do that, if you get it right, if you do whatever. He said, believers are the light of the world. Plain, simple, straightforward fact. He doesn't say, super believers are the light of the world. He doesn't say, the extremely religious are the light of the world. He says, you are the light of the world. To a Jewish audience who didn't know him, didn't recognize his authority, wasn't sure what was going on, were by this time a little baffled by what he was saying, he says to this audience, you are in fact, with the little tiny bit of a glimmer of a candle you hold, you are in fact the light of the world. You. Some of them that day had probably done some things that weren't very bright. As most of the rest of us do. But he said to those folks and to these, you are in fact the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop, note the phrase, that cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. You put a city on top of a hill, people see it from all around. People who are approaching it see it. People coming from great distances see it. You are a light, like a city that sits on top of a hill. You can see it miles and miles around. You are the light of the world. You became the light, you me when we plugged into Jesus, when you plugged into the power source, when you plugged into Christ. You became the light, straight up, fine, period, when you plugged in. Do you remember what it was like when you first plugged in? I wish I I could be two people at one time because I don't know what it's like to grow up in the church your whole life and just have always been around folks and connected with and and plugged in maybe from, from the very beginning. I don't know what that's like. I I think it's awesome. I think of all the things you skipped over that folks like me didn't skip over. 
all the things you didn't learn, all the things you picked up before I was even around. I, I, remember, I, I just remember going to the church as a young secular guy um, and, and being amazed by how much people just knew about Scripture. When you plug into Christ, you become the light of the world. When you plug into Jesus, you become the light of the world. Do you know what's crazy about this? Some folks who have preached, preached, preached sermons from, from sort of the memory of what they once lived and once knew have shared light, shared light after theirs went out. It's a crazy thing. It's like a ripple of light that goes on. Jesus actually said of those who were preaching his gospel that we're, uh, we're, we're not connected with him if they're, not, if they're not against us, they're for us. Later they would say, if they're not for us, they're against us. But Jesus said, if they're not against us, if they're not pushing against us, they're for us. It's a crazy thing. It's only a God thing because only God would trust us that much. There's no way that we don't trust each other that much. We're really careful about who we let talk for us. But God says, as soon as you're connected, as soon as that comes into your life, as soon as you begin to get that information, Christians, believers, people, people who, who maybe aren't even Christian, they've just grown up around the church, they're friends. I, I hear it every once in a while. You hear somebody say, oh, I worked with this guy, and he wasn't much of a believer. He was kind of a, kind of a flake, really, spiritually. He wasn't really a, a, a guy who followed God. But one day I asked him about something because he seemed to know a lot about God, and he shared this bit of Scripture with me. changed my life. Think, wow, the power of God's word. That even from a person whose testimony has failed, whose light has gone out, the word still works. It's crazy. These Jewish folks who Jesus is talking about are a pretty pretty dim wick. I didn't say wit, I said wick. But Jesus calls them the light of the world. At the time, they're the only light the world had. At the time, they were the only supply of an understanding of who God was from God's hand. That's it. It's the only place. You are the light of the world. So how did the person get plugged into this one who is the light? Remember? Jesus said it at the beginning of the sermon. It's great. It's amazing when you recognize your spiritual poverty. The blessings of mourning that poverty are immense. The power of being humbled by your need for Jesus is is overwhelming. The joy of spiritual hunger brings you to the answer which changes your heart and makes you merciful and a bringer of peace. That's the trajectory of the spiritual life Jesus is describing at the beginning of this. So so can can I try to draw... Two very distant things from one distance to a close proximity. This Jewish group who had no idea who they were listening to was beginning to hear a new and brighter and more powerful light. They were already the light, but your light can get cranked up. The Christian church for the last 3,000 years has known, or 2,000 years, maybe 3,000 would be better, 2,000 years has known some things about God that had not been revealed before because of who Jesus is. And Jesus said, you guys are the light of the world. Those of you who are connected with God are the only hope the world has. 
those of you who are connected with God, are the light in the darkness. I told you the story before. I was on a boat in the middle of the Pacific, and it can get dark out there, especially when the moon's not out. In fact, it gets very, very dark when all you have is starlight. Lots of stars, but not a lot of light. I was actually below deck. I had gone down. My shift was over. I had gone down to get some rest, and I laid down. I laid down in one of the berths that uh, was actually where the dinette was. We you know, put the table down. It's just like a, a, a boat like this is just like a camper. You put the, the, the dinette together and it makes a bed. I was laying in that bed. I was laying and facing toward the center of the boat. And off in the corner on the chart table was a single red light. Unnoticeable during the day. It's on day and night. Single red light. It was on the instrument panel. It was just a light that said, the power's on. And it shone in my eyes in that darkness till I couldn't sleep. And I finally had to turn over and face the other direction because of the intensity of that little red light in the darkness. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Do you think those ladies who were taking up an offering from their meager, meager wages thought anybody would report this. They didn't even realize that they were being the light. But they've got a decade-long decade light still shining. Okay, preacher. So the only question, if you, are, if you are the light of the world, the declaration is that you are the light of the world, is what you're going to do with it. What are you going to do with the light? If you are, in fact, the light of the world, are you going to try to hide it? That's what the story is about. Remember, hide it under a bushel. What's the answer? No, I'm not going to do that. Hide it under a, a bowl. Hide it under something. Are you, are you not going to hide the light that you actually are? It's glowing out. It's glowing from you. I think maybe that's why uh, the, the Bible later says that we're, we're all in broken vessels. We're broken pots because it's in the cracks of the pot that the light actually escapes when we're trying to hide it. We are actually the light of the world. And if we try to hide it, it just kind of glows out around it. Do you mute it? Yeah. Do you end it? No. A lot of believers are trying to live a life where they don't show too much because if they show too much, somebody will watch, somebody will notice, somebody will be offended. We go off to college. This is horrible for us. We went to high school. It's horrible for us. You know, elementary school teacher, elementary school kids are usually much braver than high school and college kids about their faith. I don't hear a lot of a lot of high school and college kids saying, "Hey, I witnessed to my friend, my neighbor on the on the on the in school today." But I've had. Kids in our church say, I was on the playground and I prayed for my friend. I was on the playground and I prayed for some of them going to, to Christian schools, some of them going to non-Christian schools. doesn't really matter. When you're a nine-year-old kid and you're excited about Jesus, you just talk about it. Because you don't know the, the, the pressure or the, 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 peers, the peers' opinions are, are significant. You just go about your business. What's weird about us is we carried that nervousness that brought us into the high school cafeteria with fear and trembling on into our adulthood, and we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to be pointed out. We don't want, to, we don't want all the folks in our work to feel bad about us or to feel, feel funny around us, and so we kind of try to dim the light. If you are the light of the world, if Jesus declares those connected with him are the light of the world, then the questions become pretty simple. Will you hide it or will you not? Will you cover it or will you not? Will you try to, let, try to keep people from knowing that you're a believer? Or will you not? See, the, the second half of this is, no, you're not supposed to do that. You're, you're actually supposed to accentuate it. You're supposed to hold it up. 
So if you got a, if you got a light uh, for the, for the uh, children's story today, hold up your light. Turn it on first. Hold it up. Come on, you guys, hold it up. I know there are more than two of you. Did you lose it already? You're supposed to actually hold it up. You're supposed to actually have it up where it can be seen. Thank you, sir. That's the point. He says, don't hide it. Accentuate it. Don't hide it. Put it out where it can be seen. Put it up on a, on a lampstand where the whole house becomes filled with that light. Don't try to cover it up. Don't try to pretend it's not there. Accentuate it. Okay, guys, thank you. We don't want to run your battery out. You get the picture, right? You are the light of the world. No question. It's a certainty biblically. If you're connected with Jesus, suddenly you start to glow. I have a question for you. How's your glow? Can people see it? Do you let it shine at home? Let it shine till Jesus comes while I'm inside my front door. Do you let it shine at work? Let it shine till Jesus comes because I work for K-Love. Sorry, Sam, I just had to pick on your sitting right there. Or does it stay at home when you go to work? The question is, will you let it shine? Will you try to hide it? You're already the light. It's clear you're the light, so what are you going to do about it? Are you going to hide it or accentuate it? Have you ever thought about the fact that every light has its own color? That none of us are the same? None of us are actually the same color and, t- and tone of light? Your light and my light have, has its own tone? There was in, once a young man. He was a rich young man. Come from, came from a wealthy family. His father was in control of a lot of territory. He had a, a big group of people working for him. He had a large family of his own. And this young man's brothers got upset with him because he was daddy's favorite. They got so upset with him that when he came to visit them, they stripped him of his clothing and threw him into a pit. And they waited to figure out what to do with him. And while they were waiting for, to figure it out, along came a group of traders with a caravan. And so he, they sold their brother as a slave to that caravan. The caravan was on its way down to Egypt. And while there in Egypt, he was sold to a man named Potiphar. And he began to work in that man's house. He was a wealthy man. He understood how to run a wealthy man. He came from a wealthy family. He understood how to run that family. And so he was pretty good at it. He was helping the man. Things were prospering. And he was being, Potiphar was being blessed. And this man's wife became attracted to the young man. And when he turned away her advances, she blamed him. She said to her husband, this young man tried to take advantage of me. And being that, his, that, that, that Potiphar couldn't suffer the shame of this, true or not, he had the young man thrown in prison. Now, I don't think he believed his wife because if he believed him, he should have had him killed. And he had the power and the authority to do that. So the young man went into jail thinking that he's back in the pit where his brothers had put him. While they're in the pit, he begins to live life in a way that begins to catch the attention of the people in the jail. And as that life of his begins to shine, as his his little light continues to shine within the confines of that jail, he becomes noticed. 
And his skill set becomes useful. And as he becomes more and more useful to the persons leading that jail, as he becomes a servant to those who have enslaved him, as he becomes a willing servant to those who have enslaved him, if you're at a job where you think you're working for a boss who's a slave, as he became a servant to those who had enslaved him, if you are doing something that you hate doing for your trade, as he became a servant to those who had enslaved him, his skill set began to become noticed. His light began to shine in this darkest corner of his life's experience. And as his light began to shine, even those people in the prison recognized the value of his brain, if not the value of his person. And they raised him up because of his skill set and put him in charge of the entire prison if you're unwilling to be the servant of somebody you don't want to serve you're probably not going to learn what God has planned for you it is very often those moments of desperate servitude that teach us how to follow God come what may It's those darkest moments, those darkest places where the smallest light shines the brightest. Allow yourself to be used of God no matter where you find yourself. Shine in whatever hole you've been thrown into and let God sort it out from there. The young man, while there, interpreted some dreams and word of that got to the king to the pharaoh who was leading Egypt. Are you familiar with the story? The story of a man named Joseph from the Old Testament scriptures. He, the word of his ability got to the king so his little light shining in that dark little corner continuing to consistently follow after God no matter what. That little slim candle of a light down in the darkness of that place shone out and the shining rays of that light reached all the way to the king. And Pharaoh said, I need a man like that. And he called him. He walks into the house. Now, 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 now catch this. If you catch nothing else, Pharaoh had had a dream. Pharaoh didn't understand the dream. Joseph is brought to his house. Joseph can relate to Pharaoh because he's been the son of a wealthy man. He understands what it means to be around wealth, to be around authority, to be around power. He understands what it means to be a man of authority and a man of power. And when he comes into the presence of Pharaoh, he's learned some lessons from poverty. The reach of his testimony has broadened by the severity of his experience. When he arrives, Pharaoh needs a guy who understands leadership in high places, but also understands want. You see, the Pharaoh didn't know anything about want. And when God revealed this dream to Pharaoh and David and Joseph told him, look, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have some lean years, some seven lean years. You're going to have seven fat years. The fat years first, the lean years second. And rather than have the lean years destroy the land, save up during the fat years. Now let me ask you a question. Do rich people save up? Do kings who have inherited all their wealth save up? 
worst possible thing that can happen to a person generally is to be, in, to be the inheritor of a great deal of wealth. It tends to make you a mess. It tends to make a mess of you. So the king, who did not ever experience want, needed someone who knew want in order to have a plan for the lean years. So this man, who knew what it was like to be in a wealthy family and be under leadership and teach and be, under, and be a person of authority, had been a person of want and desperate need. In the prison, if you've got more food today than you need, you set it aside because tomorrow you might not have any. In a time of actual need, you set aside what's extra so that you'll be ready for tomorrow. You actually will peel off a little that isn't extra so that you'll be ready for a rainy day. It's the people who know about being wet who prepare for a rainy day. See, Joseph now was uniquely valuable to Pharaoh because he had been both poor and rich. Everybody's light has a unique glow to it. Your light has the glow of your experience. Don't shun the experiences that are difficult because that may be the polishing of the light that God needs for you in the future. Don't shun those things that might be tough. Don't be the person who's always whining about your tough boss. Be the person who's always shining in the darkness of that moment. Because in those moments, the most powerful light comes forth. Every single one of us has been through things that makes our light specifically colored for the uses of God. And in this room is a rainbow array of different shades and colors. Because God has given each of us different kinds of experiences. Let your light shine. So don't try to be all green or all red or all blue. Are all purple. Some should be purple, and some should be red, and some should be green, and some should be blue, and some should be yellow, and some should be this, and some should be that. Because in each way, we let a little bit of the glory of God out. So if the light is already on, the question becomes, the statement becomes, let it shine. You are the light of of the world, let it shine. You are the light of the world, let. Which means you've maybe perhaps tried to prevent. Let the light shine. Israel was a, the, the nation designed to tell the world about God. There, was a high, there were two highways that went through Israel, and those two highways were there as, as, as a, a placement. God, God had placed Israel on these two highways so that they might be able to tell the world that passed by about him. And as they were passing by, they were to be the billboard for who God was. They were to be the billboard of God's glory. We know it worked at least once. We know it worked during David and Solomon's reign because the messages about God got all the way into deep Africa. And the, and the queen of Ethiopia, queen of Sheba, came up to visit Solomon just because she'd heard so much about his wisdom and about his God. We know that during the reign of Hezekiah, the story of what, Hezekiah, what had happened because of the prophet in Hezekiah's time had gotten all the way to Babylon. And, and the king sent emissaries all the way to Israel to find out about Israel and Israel's God. 
God. We know that this plan actually worked, but Israel had hidden and buried and stuffed and, and, and quieted this light so much. They had become so insular. They'd become so inwardly focused. They became so involved with the nitpickiness of their own interior issues that they never looked at anybody else. They weren't, they weren't telling anybody about God because they were too busy trying to polish the lamp. They were too busy trying to dust off the things that are on the outside. They really weren't trying to polish their own. They were trying to polish everybody else's. God said, let the light out. Let the light out. Let let the light out. It's already on. Let it out. You already know about me. Let that light out. You already have some information. The little tiny bit of information you may feel uncomfortable because it's not so much. Let it out. Let it be. Let it show. Let it shine. Let it out. I want to talk about a, a light switch. I want to talk about a way to intensify light. I want to talk about turning up the light because the connection with the Holy Spirit is the one that guides the life of the person and shows the light, that brings the light up. The light, you want your light to grow? If you're, if you're embarrassed because you just have a little, a little birthday candle for a light, if you would like a giant laser light, okay, plug into the Holy Spirit. Start following after God. Be connected with Him in such a way that it really cranks up your light. So I say, Paul speaking in Galatians, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives then you won't be doing what your, what your sinful nature craves. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What happens when you connect with that light, when you connect with the Holy Spirit? Transformative things happen in your life. You begin to behave differently. You turn on that light, you plug in, and things begin to change. So remember, there's a trajectory to your spiritual growth. You recognize your spiritual poverty. You begin to be brokenhearted by it. You mourn that. You become humbled by, the, by what you're recognizing about yourself. And in that humility, you become, you become hungry for God's answers. As the hunger for God's answers begins to be met by God, you begin to grow. You become merciful. The first act is merciful because you know you needed mercy. The first change, the first thing you see in a new believer's life is they become mercy to merciful to others because they've known their own need for mercy. So when they get that mercy begins to happen, God says, yeah, at that point, you're open to a new heart. And he changes the heart, changes the light bulb inside. A, a change of who you are t- starts to take place. You don't know much about doctrine. You don't know much about gospel. You don't know much about nothing. You're just beginning your walk with God, but he changes the motivations of your heart, and you begin to be a purveyor of peace, mercy, purity, peace become possible. Then love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control become the fruit that begins to blossom and bloom on your life. You notice there's not a doctrinal statement there. I am not opposed to doctrine. I'm very much a fan of doctrine. I belong to this church because of this church's doctrine. Because this church has discovered in Scripture what I think is the clearest representation of what the Bible says about following God. But I want you to know, when you, when you bring the doctrine light on people, you usually don't help. Do you know the etiquette of a flashlight? What's the etiquette of a flashlight? Don't shine it in someone else's face. Think of your doctrinal understanding as a flashlight. It's there to light the way, not blind the neighbor. Right? Your doctrinal understanding is there to light a path. 
It's there to give people direction. It's there to help people understand the God they're following. It's not there to blind them with. So don't blind people with your doctrinal understanding. Blind them with your joy and kindness and peace and patience. That's the picture here. That's what is being sent out. This is what God is calling on us to do. Let your light shine before men. Let your light shine before men. Let people be able to see the life you're leading. Let your light shine before men that they may see what? Your good works, the change that's happened in your life, so that they may see who you are under the umbrella of Christ, in the hand of Jesus, in the conversion that's taking place, in the mercy, the purity, the peace that you bring, in the experience you bring to the relationship. Let your light so shine before men that they call their boss and say, this guy needs a raise. No. That they glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light so shine before men that they glorify your Father in heaven. You notice there's no light pointing at you here. The stage lights don't come on when you glorify your Father in heaven. The stage lights don't point at you. The ultimate glory of the believer is the glory that points to God. Let your light so shine before men that they glorify your Father in heaven. Whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you're doing in your spiritual walk, whatever's being transformed in your life, it's supposed to point people to God. It's supposed to be guiding people to a relationship with someone who can actually do something about their problem. One of the problems with being a pastor is I think I have answers. I was taught to have answers part of the training. We're like the shell answer men. You have to be a certain age to get that. It's a commercial decade or so old. But we're like the person who comes with the answer. We're, we're, we're designed, we're, we're called, we're directed, we're, we're trained to have the answers. We're like a doctor for your spiritual life. Take three of these and you'll be great. The problem is after you do that for 10 or 12 years, you start realizing No, there's a big problem here. The doctor knows the problem. You give the people the pill, they don't take it when they go home. The pills in Christianity are pretty simple. Pray, study your Bible, hang out with people who will bless you in fellowship and guide your spiritual life toward God. Get your nose in the Bible. That's pretty much the answers. Those are all really the answers. You start realizing you dole out this medicine. Nobody takes the pill. Well, the numbers taking the pills, not as big as you'd hoped. But if you can simply say, these things will connect you to God. If you can simply say, put your hand in the hand of God and listen. Direct yourself to the, to, to the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit whispering in your ear and listen. Transformational, powerful things take place. It truly is. I've spent many days in my office trying to talk somebody out of sin. Your problem, buddy, is greed. It's killing you. You need to stop. 
You need to, you need to find a way. You need to start giving away some money. You need to do something that counteracts that greed. And as long as it's just my voice, it doesn't help much. But when you take that problem and you say, my brother, you need to go to God with the greed and you need to just lay it in front of him. It's amazing what happens. Because the real answers come from him. Let your light so shine before men that they see God. Let your light shine. Quit, quit hiding it. Quit burying it. Quit, quit pretending it's not there. Quit, quit making it look like you're everybody else. And let them see God. Let your light so shine before men that they will glorify your Father in heaven. If the light is visible, if the light is shining, then there is darkness. Right? Is that, is that true? Ernie, could you kill the house lights? My light is small. I need extra darkness. Maybe you're going to have to kill them all. Can you see my light now? Can you see my light shining on the roof? Could you see it a little while ago? Why? This is the power of a light. It is actually more effective in the dark. Don't be afraid of the dark. You have the light. You have the answer to the darkness. In fact, you are the answer to the darkness. Don't be afraid of the dark. Don't focus your life on complaining about the darkness. Don't focus your life on complaining about the darkness. Sometimes we spend our time focused on complaining about the darkness and we miss entirely the light. The darkness only serves the light. The darkness actually serves the light. It allows you to see what you didn't see before. You are the light of the world. You're its only real hope. You are the light of the world. You are the world's only real hope. You, who are connected with Jesus, who have some information from God, who have some personal relationship, who've made some, some, some value, have, have, have seen the value and, and plugged in in some way to a relationship with God. You are the light of the world. Little boy shined shoes on his street corners in the 50s when kids did this sort of thing. He shined shoes for money on the street corner and uh, a, per, a certain businessman would go by and get his shoes shined there regularly. He wanted to help out the little guy and the guy did a great job for the, with his shoes. He would, he would finish when he finished and the, those shoes looked good. They looked good enough for church. And so he would go by and have this little guy shine his shoes on a regular basis. And he was so impressed with him after having done this multiple times. He asked the little guy, he said, hey, 
uh, you do a really exceptional job. What motivates you to do this, this kind of menial task with such vigor? The little guy said, I pretend that when I'm shining these shoes, Jesus is wearing them. This business guy goes off to work and he can't forget the testimony of this little guy. This business guy hears the voice of this little eight, nine-year-old kid echoing in his head. I shine every pair of shoes as if Jesus is wearing them. I imagine when I'm shining shoes, that Jesus is wearing them. That man gave his heart to Jesus because this little guy shone his light on his shoes. Wasn't an important task, wasn't an influential task wasn't a task that most of us would even want to do, let alone earn a living at. And this little dim light, this small spot in the darkness, worked its way through where no one else had been able to touch this guy's heart. The commitment of this one small child. You are the light. You're the only hope. The local church is the hope of the world and you are the local church. Let the light shine. Let it out. Let it be out in front of people. Let your boss see it, good or bad. Let your neighbors see it. Let your friends see it. Let your enemies see it. Let it be seen. Just let it. Don't force it. Don't forget the etiquette of light. Let it shine. One of my favorite quotes from the book Evangelism. I love that it's in a book called Evangelism. When speaking about the difference in testimony. It says doctrine. You know those lights we want to shine need not be mentioned in testimony unless questioned. When the Holy Spirit gets in you, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control are the lights that shine in the darkness that is our world. Things are getting darker but as things get darker, the darkness serves the light. Let's pray.